0: Hello, I'm Deirdre Saterelli the host of The Repivot Project, a podcast dedicated to giving you actionable strategies and tactics as we explore the art and science of change. It's our intention to bring you the brightest minds, the most curious in spirit, and the courageous of heart as we explore the theme of change and transition. Whether you are looking to change things up personally, launch a business, or keep your brand relevant in today's marketplace, our guests will give you the tools to push boundaries and to take risks. And on this path to change that we are all on, who says we can't have some fun along the way? We won't profess to have all the answers, but yet this podcast will let you join other fellow explorers because we believe that by creating a collective sense of purpose, by sharing tribal wisdom and supporting curiosity, the sum of our community is greater than its parts. I recently sat with Daniel Chapman, director of student transitions and family programs at Endicott College. Part of the student affairs leadership team, Dan has responsibility for facilitating and deepening family and student connections to the college. This includes welcome and orientation programs, information and communication for families, as well as deeply collaborative and intentional first and second year programming. I was intrigued that his professional practice entailed transitions. And during our conversation, I learned that Dan practices what he preaches with a varied background in cultural and social anthropology, counseling, and higher education leadership. He's also a big Ted Lasso fan and feels Ted may just have the recipe for positive change. Dan, welcome. This is a podcast about the art and science of change. And I know this episode comes as many seniors are contemplating their college of choice for the fall, or maybe they've already made a commitment to a college. And your title is Director of Student Transitions and Family Programs at Endicott College. So tell me how those two things come together.
1: Well, so um, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, It's great to to be a part of this. What I appreciate is that Endicott, I think, saw a need and created a position an entirely new office to meet the need of parents, family members, and students as they transition uh, into the college. And and, and that concept isn't new, but the way I think that Endicott um, created a specific point person for parents and families and guardians especially is where some colleges and universities miss the mark. There's a little bit of a fear involved sometimes in working with families. In my career, I've taken kind of the opposite approach, and I think the more that we can engage with parents and families to a point that we can get them to help our students help themselves. And so it, it's, it's win-win. So my position specifically oversees new student orientation and all first and second year programming. So we really wanna focus on those students that are most apt to kind of run into some challenges and be new to the environment, be new to the culture of college in general. So I'm tasked with running a very welcoming orientation, but then also extending orientation into much of the first year than even in the second year and some students transition just very quickly some students it's more of kind of an up and down and i think that that's for everybody it takes a little bit of time to find your fit and and to feel at home at an institution and that's really why this position was created on the parent and guardian side i'm a little bit of a more accessible call than if you're calling directly to the to the president's office as some parents want to do to get that immediate response i like to engage parents and families first. And then I can say, hey, let me help you navigate the campus, the websites, and I can get you to the right person. And it's, it's, it's been successful so far. I started in June. Uh, I'm not through a cycle of seeing all our events and programs yet, but I think it's been a good personal transition for me because I really like to help people along the way and advise people about how a process might be easier for them.
0: Right. And you just touched on two things. So orientation, this is, I'm going to get in my way back machine for a moment. So orientation for me was about a weekend, right? And I I can assure you, my parents, you know, they didn't come with me. I went went through the orientation, but what I'm hearing you describe when you say orientation, it's really not just a weekend. It's a much longer process. Yeah,
1: it's, it's really one, it's the capstone to what I think of as the first-year experience. And so FYE is the term I throw out there, and that's the first-year experience. The first-year experience sometimes is encapsulated at schools as a class. At Endicott, it's a series of programs with, with the main part being orientation, where, where new students come and they learn the nuts and bolts of the scheduling system. They meet their deans and advisors they meet. And what's really important lately is just learning how to meet friends networking, socializing, picking someone that they may want to be roommates with. Orientation blends seamlessly into something we call onboard here at Endicott, where they can come for a two-day stay. It's student leader run. They do a, a trip out to the, the ocean to see sunset. Yep. It, we use that, that beautiful setting to kind of help students feel comfortable. There's a lot of touch points at Endicott because it used to be that you just, you got to notice that you were accepted and then you showed up at orientation. That doesn't really work for students and families anymore. They have a ton of choices. And so we want a lot of touch points. So it starts with orientation. It really starts with accepted students, David. Then we want students to come to orientation. Then they can do an onboard weekend during the summer. Then there's another orientation right before classes start. That goes from orientation into first year programming, lots of different activities, welcome week. So it's all part of what we want a first year experience to be. And that's what's changed in the past 15 years or so, 15 to 10 years especially. Uh, It's no longer just orientation and then class. It's kind of a seamless. We want it to be a seamless, smooth transition that's a little bit more friendly to making adjustments at different levels for for students of all different backgrounds.
0: And you also mentioned something about the, the parents. And I would think it's almost like a wellness visit. You want to create that relationship with parents when things are going Good. I mean, you don't, want, you don't want that sort of, you know, five alarm phone call coming into you. Yep. So I think for you to start a relationship with them earlier in the cycle, just create that, a more robust relationship. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, and it's really important that like what you said about it, like with anybody, when you create a friendship or relationship, when times are good, it, it's going to be better. It's going to serve you when times aren't great with students and, and parents, tend, unfortunately, they will engage in a time of crisis for their student or themselves. And you want to be able to have that shared relationship during orientation was when I, I do a transition workshop and I, and I talk about some tips for students and for families. The students will go to an event and I just talk with, with parents and families and guardians. And I say, here's some things that might come up. You know, have you talked to your, your student about how they're going to pay for things. You know, there's some apps. I tell them about some technology that they might not be used to how to set expectations, how to kind of know when to communicate and when, and and know that the communication isn't going to be as regular as it used to be in high school, but that's all right. You have to kind of give them that space to run into some problems and solve some problems. I think college in general, in that first year is solving a lot of little problems on their own for students, And it's a delicate balance of working with parents to say, if you step in every second and solve it or call an office on their behalf, they're not building that resiliency and that grit.
0: Exactly. That's right. So you end up really doing like a two-sided relationship. You've got to build out the relationship with the parents, build out the relationship with the students. And of course, the approach is very differently. And ultimately, we want the students to become fully functioning adults. And so part of that is sort of figuring it out.
1: And, and part of it is there's a lot of um, identity change that happens in every sense of, of, of that process. So I, I've worked with some students that, that didn't make an athletic team and they're having to define themselves as, as a non-athlete for the first wow. time in their life. That's one example. Um, we have an incredible athletics program here, but not everyone is going to be able to make one of those teams. You know, right. in high school, that was a little bit more. Um, leniency there and so I say okay so if you're not an athlete let's you know there's a lot of like this is an opportunity to define yourself as like a new you know what's going to be your new identity you can try some things on for size and we want to allow students to be able to do that not just in the athletic area but maybe you weren't as high achieving as you wanted to academically and then you get into a major and you just you run with it and you know that this is something that you you didn't know that you would enjoy learning so much and so we want that opportunity to be built in on the academic side of the house as well.
0: And sometimes the biggest opportunities for change are what I call new beginnings. There's a a book about change written by Katie Milkman and she talks about that too. And we all think of change happening on New Year's Day. You you make your resolutions and and by the end of January, most people have forgotten about that. And uh, Katie Milkman in her book about change says that lots of times, anytime there's a fresh beginning, there is an opportunity for a big inflection point. Of course, starting college on day one basically could be a clean slate for some students to figure out now which direction do I want to go in?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's change and transition was always something um, personally, you know, I moved around a lot, lived in different states, parents had different jobs. What I appreciate about college, the change to college in particular, which I think is one of the major, major transitions that we don't talk about as much, you know, mar- marriage, kids, family, you know major work changes but that that change from high school to college is significant i think it it, it we, we we don't do it the service that it needs in terms of bringing it to light a little bit more what i liked about it it was like the, the the common you know denominator was that we were all new and that's what i loved personally about this change and transition to college and that helped me because finally i was in an environment where i wasn't the new kid and i got really good at being yeah. the new kid but in college everybody's new and i try to impart that with my students like nobody has, has, has any real huge knowledge of what you were doing before here. So you can leave that at the door to a certain extent. You need to be who you are, but don't feel this need to kind of, you know, come up with, with who you think you should be. But there's a lot of expectations and you've been hearing about it. And popular culture says, this is how a college is going to be socially. And this is how it's going to be academically. And we don't do a great job of realistically portraying what most days are like just going to class and having dinner with your friends. It's okay. If they're not that exciting, that's okay. That's because that means it's real. It means you're just, you're doing your thing.
0: Right. That's exactly right. And so your background is in cultural anthropology.
1: Yeah. Of all things.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so help me understand, because you've got a, a lot of training in that, that, that evolution from studying that to your very deep work in, in working with college students. And then also does cultural anthropology have any intersection with change, with transition in your opinion?
1: I think it absolutely does because at the basis of studying a culture is seeing how that culture adapts to major, major world events, the things that are happening, how that culture shifts, how the social mores happen within that culture. It's everything a student has to do when they enter into the college environment is being a mini kind of junior anthropologist. And a lot of students were like, what the heck is that? Well, you're studying the movements of, of a people related to sociology and, and what they're, what's acceptable in that culture. So you have to do a lot of observation. And I think that's a real, that's even a tough one for me as a talker. I need to be a good listener. I need to observe. And I think the more that we can get students to try to observe their environment, We do a lot of meditation. We have a lot of wellness programs on meditation and reflection, which is really hard to get a student to stop and think and slow down for a sec because everything is go, go, go. Uh, We're all hyper, of course. Yeah, I've got got papers, I've got this, but I think it's such an effective practice of reflection. So I'm getting away from the anthropology piece, but I think you don't have to take an anthropology course to do a lot of the things that are taught about how to observe a culture. And also managing expectations. I love to travel. And, and I, I did study abroad as a student. When you're making a transition to a new culture, you have to know that you're not going to have all the answers. And that's really difficult. And, and you may look a little bit foolish from time to time because you go the wrong direction and all the upperclassmen know that this is the way of the gym. You have to be okay with asking for help. And that's a huge one. You know, knocking on the door, whether it's socially or academically, maybe you know, knocking on that door to ask a tutor for help is is a lot. But once you do it, the hardest—that's the hardest part. Everything else gets better because you're like, oh, these people are here as a resource for me.
0: And people say yes. Yeah, when, absolutely. When you, there, there's the, you ask for help, and ninety nine point nine percent of the time, someone says absolutely. What is it that I can do for you? So your point's right. It's that it's hard. I think also maybe as a society, we're taught to be resilient, right? That word gets used in lots of different ways. And part of that is that you don't ask for help. You figure it out on your own.
1: Everybody needs that, that assistance from time to time. And I think that through, through asking for assistance, that's how you meet somebody. I remember one of my best friends uh, to this day, as someone in class, I leaned over and I said, did I, did I miss the last lecture? Like which chapter are we looking at today? And, you know, and that started a friendship. And so a little example, but students are having to solve those little problems every day and kind of figure out how to navigate. And we have people on this campus, like my job is specifically to help you transition and feel comfortable at the school. And there's a tremendous number of incredible professionals in student affairs and all over campus that have a different part of helping you feel comfortable. I'm just the one that kind of has that connection with parents, but I need to have my colleagues that I know I can send a family member too, or another student too.
0: That, that's exactly right. And so you and I have to talk about COVID and how that's impacted campuses just in general, not just Endicott in specific. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, it's, it, it, what's unique about COVID is that, that all the helpers are experiencing, in a sense, the, the 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 trauma and the fatigue of COVID as well. And so sometimes events, you know, aren't aren't as all encompassing. COVID is kind of hitting hitting certain populations a lot harder for for a lot of reasons, but on a on a campus we've had a couple years of students who didn't get the same experience and every experience is different with every class for what's going on in the world we we kind of forced students to approach learning in a really different way and for many students that was fine it was seamless for many students it was much more challenging to be in this format to do the zoom learning to do there's not the little conversation on the way there wasn't and we're getting back to it now but my favorite memories of work with my advisor at Northeastern was after a lecture, following up with some questions on the way back to his or her office That in between class time. So accessibility has been hugely accelerated because of COVID in terms of a college campus. We have students that are able to log on and see lectures while they're on study abroad that never would have happened before. Accessibility in general, with anybody that had any challenges, you know, mobility challenges, um, so the accessibility piece has been great, and it's opened up a world to a lot of students. The social piece, though, has taken taken a huge, huge impact. And I think that students were able to get comfortable with just kind of getting comfortable in the room in their setting, not having to do a lot of networking, Logging on, logging off and just taking a break and then going to the, going to the next class. And so I think that's translated into a population of students that are saying this really better be worth it for me to go to an event on on campus. And so we really need to be bringing bringing programs that we know are going to be very interesting for students. We've always had to do that, but I think it's on us a little bit more to say we can get back to those those group gatherings because people are still a little reluctant safety-wise sometimes regardless of their personal situation. I, I would hate to see that we don't get back to this collaborative spirit and you know the in-person. I, I think it is essential and Zoom is here to stay, but that's one piece of the tool. I don't want us to kind of shift completely that way. And I don't think we will, I don't think we will. I just think that, I like to think of the positives accessibility but we've all had to kind of make this change together and that that's the tough part i think you know our therapists our first responders our frontline workers anyone that you go to in your circle is also dealing with this so the empathy piece is really hard because you know you only have a certain amount precisely
0: people right and i think for from a an event perspective it's got to be full sensory when i think about future events and I've run events, you've run events as yeah, well yeah. too, but now how they can be amped up. And I mean that in a, in a, uh, in a positive way, not just a superficial way to, sure. to stimulate all of the senses, because when you're on a zoom call, that's not true. And, it, and I also think all of us need to kind of relearn how to be with one another to some extent too.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, one of, yeah. one of the biggest things that we're seeing in terms of feedback and focus groups is, that's a challenge that students are really wanting is that social integration. So it's twofold. They've said that that's been one of the most difficult things, but that's also what they're seeking out with programming. So we get a specific program, a couple programs this semester. The entire agenda was kind of going through. This is how you kind of make a friend. And this is how you bring up a conversation with somebody to show that there's a shared interest. And maybe this is this is how you look for a mentor. And this is how you approach your RA in your residence hall. And this is how you Maybe invite someone to go to a meal or to go to dinner. So we've had to kind of peel it back a little bit. And then we also want to make sure that there's some hands-on learning, some project-based things happening, not just a panel, not just a lecture. You know, using students to give information to other students. Like I like to think that I have an entertaining uh, way about speaking with students and engaging them. But I mean, if a student walks in, that's the person that's gone to their classes, that's been in their situation, and so getting some students from different areas on campus to actually train the trainer, so to speak, to get the students to lead the sessions is been very successful.
0: And it, you know, it certainly helps. I've often found in my experience when a student says it, the eyes of all the other students go right to that and they have instant credibility. I mean, it's just, you know, and it's an authentic thing. So, you know, Endicott is known for being inclusive on its campus. So how do you, or, or I don't want to presume this, Do you uh, approach the families of first-generation college students differently than others or or not?
1: Well, so we we do, but it's a fine line because we, we never want to single out any student population and we want to be really sensitive to if a student doesn't necessarily think they need a service because they're part of a certain population, whether it's a marginalized population or not, we want to be sensitive to not assuming what they need. At at Endicott, we'd like to think about a general sense of belonging, you know, are the the professionals that work in in, um, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, that belonging piece is really important. Everyone should have a, a place in the conversation. We definitely still have specific programs. We have Uh, For first generation students in particular, they just initiated a new first year honor society, specifically for first generation students, which I think is really gonna be great to kind of say, hey, you're part of this population, you've reached this academic level. This is something that we're gonna spread the word on and and, and have you be inducted. You know, we don't have a large first generation student population here, but we absolutely, it doesn't matter about the numbers really for us, we want you to have a sense of belonging. And so we do some specific programming with the diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, we're, and we're going to be opening a center for belonging specifically to address the needs of a lot of these populations. That's going to be opening in June for like for staff, but the students are going to be here. So we'll have a um, like a ribbon cutting ceremony probably in September when they come back. And, you know, students are really sensitive to walking the walk if you talk the talk. Right. And so you know, they're very smart and they know that if you're saying, you know, just saying, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. They want to see that it's going to happen and we need to be able to bring that for them.
0: When you talk about first year students, you know, there is always, you know, in generically speaking the dreaded sophomore year, right, which is yes. kind of sometimes the uh, probably of the four years the most diff- can be the most difficult for students. First of all, what is, is that a misnomer or is it true?
1: So, there's been some recent studies that, that, that said that academically it's maybe not as big of a change as they had thought, but I'm still a firm believer that it's a significant change socially a lot of um, where you're living and like your friendship group groups will change whether it's your specific residence hall maybe you're moving off campus some of your friends are staying on campus so so it's it's kind of like the food and food and shelter you know where you go, Um, for meals at ENICOT specifically doesn't change, but who you're going with and like going to a meal is a lot of anxiety about, is there someone I can go to a meal with? And I think that that's something that came out of of athletics, actually, that that, that second year professional players in certain sports would have a kind of a downturn. And that's where the, the term was kind of taken from. But we've applied it to academics and there tends to be a lot more things being thrown at you. So you're getting deeper into your major. You maybe have switched your major as a sophomore. There's a social piece. There's the academic piece. Um, and so typically it's, there's more challenges and there's not as many supports. And so one of the reasons that we focus on some programming specifically for sophomores is because first year students tend to have a, like the handholding and, and we're, we're creating all these things just for you.
0: And everything's shiny and new. Everything's shiny and new. Right.
1: Sophomore year, we're like, oh, you, you should know kind of where to go and you know how to, you know how to navigate this culture and you know how to you know go through the system. Junior year has a lot of support because you're thinking about study abroad and internships and then senior year it's career and you know you're kind of halfway out the door anyway. So sophomore year, sometimes they call it the silent year, the forgotten year. It doesn't mean that there's not a lot of students that are still doing really, really well as sophomores. We just need to know that there's certain speed bumps that are going to be in the way for some students that we can try to mitigate with some programming and so We have a weekend program for sophomores. It's a discover weekend where we we, we get sophomores together, take them off campus for a weekend and talk about, here's some ways that you could navigate some of the kind of things that might come up for you, whether it's academic or social. I've seen a lot of success, um, past positions, past institutions, just acknowledging like a welcome letter to sophomores during the summer, say, welcome back to your sophomore year. We, we see you, we hear you, we know you're a group that we're not just gonna ignore. A welcome back barbecue. This year we're implementing an Endicott, a halfway to graduation series of programs. The last week before they leave, maybe I think we're gonna have a barbecue and we're gonna have kind of some festivities to say, you've made it halfway. When you're a student being acknowledged but in a way that's not too much in the spotlight, but it's kind of kind of a passive program where you can kind of attend and know that, that, that this is for you. I think it goes a long way.
0: I would agree. And I think you know the freshman year in general goes by really fast. Again, things are shiny and new, lots of novel things getting thrown at you. Sophomore year, maybe a little bit of added pressure because to your point, now you've got to start to be thinking, all right, junior year, I've got to get some things in gear as well, too. And it almost, you know, every year has its own transitory aspect to it. If there were a change coming up on college campuses in general uh, that maybe you think people aren't aware of, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. What, yeah, what, yeah. For, do you think that that's true? And if you think it's true, what would that change be?
1: Well, I, I think that in general, because of the ability for students to, to do research on institutions every detail to find out about from fellows, from students that are there already, social media. I mean, it used to be when we were looking at schools, I would have to go to the town library, open this huge book that had all these outdated numbers about what the school was like. So you've got a much more sophisticated customer, in it, so to speak, with parents and students. And so students, it used to be that just the parents were talking about what's the return on investment? What's, you know, what what am I getting if my student goes to your institution? Now the students are asking that, right? And so I think it's great because they're they're feeling empowered to be more part of their transition and their process, but I think it's a real it's a real change that's happening that you know students are being a little bit more picky about what they'll get out of out of an institution to the point where you know I think some transferring isn't a thing that's as difficult to do anymore. I don't think there's there's generally like a, a nationwide trend for that, but I think that they're being Pickier consumers. And I think that's a good thing, but also a hard thing for us as higher ed um, professionals because we need to be able to balance and match what we're able to do and able to give, but still have it be a natural progression of them kind of exploring and learning. In other words, we don't want to, we can't tell every student like this is exactly what the process is going to be. But we can generally say that we will support you in this way and that this is a success that we've seen with our alumni. And so I think it's just the 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 ability to get information and this really is hitting our admissions professionals who the competition is so fierce because students are able to kind of you don't have to travel to California to see UCLA anymore you can do a virtual tour from your home obviously it's great it's different than being on the campus but and that's in the last five to ten years that that's really made a massive change so I think that it's just that we have to match that with our energy and I think our transparency in answering questions with parents and students at like something like an accepted students' day or an open house, because it does nobody any good if we're not being real with students about expectations.
0: Right. And it, they have the expectation, rightfully so, of like this curated experience. And yeah. I like a high touch, when I think of a value proposition for a college, you know, and you're certainly the work that you're doing is part of a unique value proposition, but it, it gets to the things of that all that a campus provides, food, shelter, mental health support, right? It's a whole basket of, of goods and services to help with with their transition from being a teenager to a young, productive. Well, and, and
1: I think, you know, you mentioned the mental health piece. It, it, to me, I guess it's, we deal with we deal with it. It's such a big, big topic lately with, with us and our colleagues around the country. Um, that's something that was never brought up years ago, other than Oh, do you have a wellness center? Do you have a counseling, you know, office? And now it's, it's, if not the first or second, it's, it's in that first conversation with parents about if my student was having some, 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 you know, some trouble transitioning in addition to talking to an office member, is there, is there counseling involved? So some of our programming has definitely, we've taken that into account about mental health because again, covid what covid did was you know it isolated a lot of people even though you could interact online i know that students these days i guess they did some studies that are the most connected that they've ever been and they have the largest friendship groups but still have the highest percentages of loneliness and so being connected doesn't necessarily mean that's an engaging relationship which is important information
0: i've heard that as well too so for you Dan, the person you've been a counselor, you studied cultural anthropology, educator, human rights activist. So it seems like you've been a student of change yourself, Dan. Absolutely. So, what if I um, if I could ask you this? What personal change are you working on now for yourself?
1: Well, you know, I was I was thinking about um, this question and. Uh, you know, there's hobbies and things. But I think as you know, as being a dad's a huge part of, of, of my life, I have, I have twin daughters that are sophomores in high school. And so when we talk about there's some sophomore things in college that also translate to being a sophomore in high school, the difference is, they're nervous about getting their license, they are just starting to think about is college something I want to do? If So how do I do that? So for me, I think, being a dad that because I've always worked on a, on, on a college campus doesn't mean I know exactly what my daughters are going to want or what questions they're going to ask on a college tour. And they've already told me I'm not allowed to ask many questions um, because I was a former tour guide. I love talking to tour guides. But I think recently once they now that they've been in high school on the sporting side, so I coached their, their lacrosse players and I, I coached their their town team for years. I've had to transition myself into being a parent that's not coaching from the sideline. I'm not used to being on the sideline. I've always been my daughter's coach. And so, you know, I'm I'm getting better at it. You know, I try to stand off to the side and not be coaching from the side. But I love that I'm getting ready to experience what I've been talking to parents about how to deal with for years, working in orientation, academic advising, career advising. Now I get to see it with my own daughters. And it's, right. it's exciting, but it's also a little bit frightening sure. because I'm kind of in this experiment that I've been a part of for my whole career.
0: And, you know, it's an evolution of the relationship. I mean, when you talk with, your, with parents of students coming to campus, it's an evolution of what that dynamic was. And, you know, it can evolve to a, a wonderful new kind of relationship as well, too.
1: And I, I don't hesitate to, to, to talk about being a parent myself. And challenging conversations with parents, I say, and I don't use that as a shield, but I use that as it say, like, you know, I really do get what you're saying. You know, this is something that as a parent, like you're sending them off. And if they're not eating well, or if they're not meeting someone the way that you thought they would, that not having that control, that, that's a, that's a real thing. So I try to relate to them as a parent, wasn't always able to do that earlier in my career, but I think that goes a long way. And that's to me, the whole, the, the being real piece. And I've had success being as real as I can be.
0: And you're walking the path. I mean, that gives you empathy. Exactly. You can't, you can't fake empathy. No.
1: Nope.
0: So, so, Dan, I understand you're a fan of the Ted Lasso show.
1: Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, you know, it's funny. I think I um, I, w- I was um, interviewed by, um, they did a little piece on me as a new employee at Endicott. And I mentioned a few shows that I like. And the ones that people always mentioned from that interview were not about all the other funny stuff that that I've had in my past that I've done and but that I was a huge fan of Ted Lasso I think the reason I think we need kindness right now I think we need I think that show is just just kind nice soft landing and you don't have to be into European football you don't have to be into athletics the relationships in that show and the kindness I just think it's kind of something that we need believe me I love a lot of shows that have no kindness at all that are a little bit more Not for everybody's liking, but I don't know. I just, and when I first heard of this show, I said, why would I watch this? It's like a a Saturday Night Live guy, football coach. It it seems like so over the top as character, but the writing is incredible. It's really sweet. I I just think that that we need a little bit more of that with, with, with everything that's going on in the world. And so I'm going to tell people about things that make, that are, that are, that are nice, that are feel good because we have a ton of other stuff that's not like that. So that's kind of where I come with it. I just, I just love the writing, too. It's, it's amazing writing.
0: And I also think as a character, Ted is showing a lot of us how to navigate change. Because his yeah. character certainly goes through a lot of change.
1: And they, and they do it so realistically with, they do. you know, it, it, as, as a dad, you know, he he his character, I don't want to give away a lot of the plot, but he goes through some major life changes and has to navigate that from afar. A lot of metaphors in there. Like you say, a lot of metaphors for like being able to handle change and to do it respectfully, because um, it's really easy to kind of act out and be, you know, not so nice when there's change, because it's stressful, and you're not right. always going to want to say, oh, yeah, no problem, but I think it, it does a good way of showing that, you know, how you can tackle some some challenges in life.
0: And I think, too, we all approach change at our own speed, too, as well, so. It's,
1: yep, life is never a straight line, It's a lot of ups and downs, yep.
0: Dan, if people want to, if someone is listening to this podcast and they want to get in touch with you, learn more about what you do or learn more about Endicott College, how can they do that?
1: I have, uh, it's easy, easy search for me on on the endicott.edu on our website, and there's an easy directory you can get to me. That's probably the easiest way. I mean, and and I'm happy to give out, you know, sometimes parents and and, and students are a little bit surprised to give out my cell phone, and that's not something that I think is a big I want that transparency. I want students to be able to to reach me. But a quick search of student affairs, quick search of my name on the website is the easiest way to contact me.
0: All right. We'll be sure to get that in the show notes. Dan, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. I enjoy future conversations with you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation.
0: We've been talking with Dan Chapman, Director of Student Transitions and Family Programs. To contact Dan directly, email him at dchapman.com at endicott.edu. To learn more about Endicott College's undergraduate, graduate, and professional studies program, visit endicott.edu. And if you know of somebody whose business is focused on the art or the science of change, and you think they'd make a great guest for the Repivot Project podcast, send me a note at deirdre at repivotproject.com. That's d-e-i-r-d-r-e at repivotproject.com. Dot com. See you next time.